Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael and Jackie Russo. Today's guest, I feel like Michael and I were the dumb ones in the corner with the dunce caps on at the party. I mean, Michael, is it just that we're not that smart or is it every guest is just that much smarter than us? I, I think I think that's maybe both. I don't know. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I guess these guys are out there kind of um, they're like the Pied Pipers of the tech world right now. And they're doing podcasts and they're spreading the language and the messaging and all that stuff and um, about what they're doing. And it's it's really heady at times, but it's also he does a great job of breaking it down and kind of humanizing it um to a level that um like even at the end when he just talked about not to give anything away because i know everybody's waiting anxiously to hear hear the podcast um is that you know he was like using technology and ai and all those things to take away the things that you don't want to do and giving you the time to do the things that you're really good at and things that you want to do and i think that's a really good way of looking at it um he did say for now so um, I think there's things that are going to continue to change. But for now, I think we all still have a purpose on the planet. So that's good. For now. And really, I, I think we should let Gil's words speak for themselves. And so without further ado, joining us today, Gil Alush. Gil, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. We are super excited. As a company that focuses on B2B, uh, I feel like it's a special club. There's not a lot of us out there. Everybody else always wants to talk about the big name, retail, big name, B2C. So welcome to the Unglamorous Club, Gil. We're glad to have you. <laughs> it's great to be here. I've been in B2B my whole life, so I don't really know any other game. It's the best game in town, I think. So what <laughs> drew you to B2B? Why has that been the place where you've based your career? Um, I think it's just destiny. That's how I, that's my first job. They were robotics. Then it was, I was building software for banks. Uh, so I just never, that was not something that I participated in a consumer product in the past. It's absolutely something I plan on touching later on. I think there's a lot of interesting differences between B2C and B2B. I always think about, uh, the standards that we've gotten accustomed in B2B that would never go uh would never work out in in b2c you know like for example like user experience like imagine having to read a white paper or an ebook before buying shoes or a laundry machine and so like i i, I find that b2c and b2b life kind of very interesting you know that's a great point i always um hear people talk about the things that work in b2c that they don't think will work in b2b and we actually think you know people are people and so it's about creating a compelling story that's going to connect with them. But I love the way you just put that with the stuff that works in B2B that would never fly in B2C. You are so right. Uh, we don't have any clients waiting, um, people waiting outside their door at midnight uh, to buy their tools like people do with shoes. But to your credit, you're correct. I don't see a lot of our restaurant uh, client patrons downloading an ebook uh, before they're willing to go order an entree. So it, it kind of goes both ways. I like that. But I think it's the yeah. balance too. You know, we we try to we like to say that we bring a B two C mentality to a B two B world, 
Um, because I think people do think of B2B and, and they get really tight with it. And they're like, oh, we're just business, business. And we have to follow a certain formula and a certain pattern and a certain language. And we can't be creative and we can't um, have good conversation and good language. And, and, and that's kind of been our niche in, into getting into where we're at. And it's, it's having that messaging system in place where you can have real conversations and, and really treat people like they, they exist. It's not just an, an entity, you know? Completely agree. It is it is people to people, and I think everyone is uh, gradually understanding that. You know, there was like the the Mad Men, uh, you know, the Mad Men show that they, they, they showed how they would come up with these like ideas for consumers and the psychology of consumers and all that good stuff. And we're kind of ignoring it in B two B as if it's not humans who are still buying stuff. The difference is that humans in B two B don't buy stuff from their own pocket, and they don't buy it on their own. They buy it with a bunch of other people. But uh, it's still a purchase. Uh, and uh, I would say beyond even being creative, which I completely agree, uh, you can completely you know, change the language, be fun, be daring, uh, a little bit politically incorrect, et cetera. I think that's a great idea. But I think you can go beyond it and completely rebel against the standards. Like, for example, uh, you know, what did um, Elon Musk did with Tesla? You know, he doesn't pay commissions to his salespeople. Right, he created the product that is so uh, desirable that there is pre-orders. Right, the truck he they built has hundred million dollars in revenue pre-order. He didn't even launch it yet, and uh, the the salespeople don't get commissions; they just get a really good salary. And so you can change. Or Google, they didn't want to report their numbers when they went public, so that you can do you can change the rules if you if you want, and if people accept it, then. Tomorrow we can have a different rule for B2B where maybe someone consumes a product and it has as good of a UI just like Facebook does or Zoom has, uh, which we don't get usually in B2B. Gil, what's your process when you're sitting down to think about, especially on the automation side, uh, which, you know, everybody's talking about funnels and automation and AI and how all these pieces are going to work together. How do you set out and think, okay, this is what I'm going to create next? In terms of technology product or? Yes. No, in terms of like developing um, the messaging, developing the marketing, developing the tools, developing the automation. Oh, what kind you. of process do you go through to create all that? So uh, a few things. Well, first of all, most are the best practices. Um, we usually start at the end. So we would usually look at attribution in our CRM to try to understand at the end what led to uh, to the sales? Was it people trying out the free trial? Were these people reading some kind of a blog post or a LinkedIn post or someone listening to to a podcast? And we try to identify the, those either by signals or by self-reported uh, reported attribution. And then we'll start to build up everything back. So for example, we'll start building uh, workflows for what happens when someone comes from a LinkedIn post to our website. Can the chatbot capture that fact and continue the conversation? Uh, the second thing that we do other than reverse engineer it from the end is look at new technologies and essentially test it out and pilot it. Uh, like for example, if there is uh, there's a new data source that we're looking at right now, for example, that gives us anonymized information and not only which companies are looking at our website, but also which um, seniority and what's their job titles. So they kind of anonymize some of the data. And then we can say, okay, we're going to show a different web websites to a CMO than to a director of 
demand generation. It's going to be a different type of website. One of them is going to be more strategic and high level, and the other one is going to show screenshots from the product. And so uh, we also tackle it from the, you know, what's available in the market and then test it out for us. I like that. And then what KPIs are you looking at? What key performance indicators? Michael doesn't like the lingo. Um, what goals are you setting? And then how are you measuring those goals? Pipeline. That's the only yeah. thing that's really important. Uh, so, I mean, the, um, the leading metrics towards, the leading indicators towards are fine. They're interesting, right? Like impressions and clicks and visits and bounce rates and leads and MQLs and SQLs, all of these are important. But at the end of the day, if I get a thousand leads, and one opportunity and you know five leads and one opportunity i'd rather take the five the five leads and one opportunity a lot less distraction for myself folks and so overall pipeline is is the is the kpi um and then after that there is the sales team's job of how do you develop that pipeline into and so we measure all of those leading indicators as well the sales cycle the acv the velocity of the deals how many meetings to a close um so on and so forth no, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I think that um, all too often companies get, especially B2B companies, they get stuck in kind of the old ways. Um, you know, this is a handshake business. I've got to get face to face. How have you been able to bridge that gap uh, to get people moving forward on the thinking that uh, it's a whole new world and we've got to embrace the technology? I mean, it is a whole new world, but maybe I'm a little old-fashioned. I do think that uh, that I I miss and I strongly advocate for people to meet in person and shake hands. I don't think uh, I think we were born as humans to identify many other things than just words that come out from someone else. And so, if we're next to that person, maybe we have some abilities to read them and and see if they're trustworthy. And uh, I don't know. There are a bunch of things that a bunch of magic that happens in real-to-real interaction. So I'm actually still advocating strongly for it. I would, I'm just uh, happily um, paying a, a almost $10,000 expense for someone to fly to Australia and spend a few weeks there because there are some prospects there. And so I think it's it's uh, it's actually worthwhile. That said, you can't rely on, uh, on in-person meetings to, to build your business that is right. not advisable because the trend whether we like it or not you know old-fashioned or not is going away and so uh what what we're doing is try to understand uh try to put as much on um recording and analysis and analytics on those zoom calls so that we don't lose some of the best practices that otherwise are obvious like for example if you're a salesperson or anyone really and you're talking your someone else's ear off it's obvious, you know, there are a bunch of people there and you're going to be told, like, look, you're talking too much. You're not listening. Today, it's harder to find when there's a one-on-one Zoom call. Maybe the prospect is not going to say anything to the salesperson that they don't care. You know, they're going to say, you know, uh, they're going to just tell their colleague later, like, that was not a good sales call. And so we record the, the calls. We use um, technologies like Gong to understand the ratio between talking and listening any keywords that we mentioned, because there should be particular keywords. Um, and so we have all those systems in place, not just Gong, we have like many others who constantly listen to the interactions, the emails, the invites to see that things are happening in a healthy manner. If there are too many meetings or they're too long or people are talking for too long or the interaction is not productive, all of these things are being, um, there are notifications and we can course correct. Right. I mean, it's still it's still important, though, right? I mean, I think 
I think all advertising in general, right? You want to get people in the door. You want to make an introduction. You want to let them know what you do. You want to educate people on what, how you can benefit their lives and what they do every day. But it it still comes down to, do I like that person at the end of the day? I, I have to meet somebody, right? I have to have a personal connection. I have to trust the person that I'm about to give a, a large check to that they're going to deliver on what they're telling me that they can deliver on, right? So that part, I think, has never gone away. And hopefully it won't. I think it's still a, a big part of it. I mean, for us, uh, for us to do what we do well, we need that interaction at some point. We need to be able to connect with the client and talk to them and get to know them and and their team and really kind of evolve into something more than just uh, what, what the technology does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in agreement with that. I think uh, you do eventually buy from a salesperson uh, and they need to establish trust and all that good stuff for sure. Better to do it in person, but if you can't and you can communicate those via Zoom. Oh, yeah. Well, Zoom, yeah, it's been a game changer, changer for us. I mean, um, in the past, you know, many five years, I guess, and we were kind of um, already online and had a kind of a really loose work from home schedule at our office before uh, COVID hit. So it really didn't hit us much. I mean, we, we didn't we didn't blink. It was like, OK, well, we're just going to adjust. You know, we didn't have to build up infrastructure. We didn't have to go buy cameras. None of that. We were already in place, which was great. But um, but opening up the world to our our business has been just monumental. Um being able to get on conference calls. And I mean, it's harder on me and what I do because uh, anytime I'm on a call, I'm not working, but I'm able to go to more meetings. I'm able to participate more from the creative side um, and, and, and getting to know the, the full spectrum of who we are and we can bring people in on calls. We want to fly them all over the country. So that part's been really a big plus. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. It did open up opportunities. Uh... To folks, I can tell you from my company, the one of the major changes is that we are hiring people from really around the world. We made the company completely remote first, and so we have people from, I think, twenty plus countries. And uh, it's really nice to see someone that otherwise wouldn't get an opportunity in their local environment end up working for like a tech company originally from Silicon Valley. I guess we're not really from Silicon Valley anymore, and. Uh, and we also benefit from it because there is a completely different spirit that comes into the company that is very different than the usual uh, folks. And so the, just in terms of talent and people and diversity, uh, there's a big advantage there. You bring up a great point, and I, Michael's going to want to speak to this. I think that there is an entire mindset shift that has to happen with managing people remotely. So how do you do that? How do you get them to still feel like a part of the company? How do you know that they're doing their job? You know, help Michael feel better about this because it's a struggle for him. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a struggle for many people. And uh, I don't know the answer. You haven't asked the question, but the question, but I don't know the answer to which one is better. He's working from an office. I remember I went to see um, the office of what this guy is, uh, his name is uh, Patrick but David. I don't know if you know this guy. He has this um, channel on YouTube called Valuetainment. Kind of an interesting guy, good author. And he has a business of uh, a financial services business and a coaching business. And he basically has his office in Fort Lauderdale in Miami, in, in maybe an hour north of Miami and uh, 40, 40 minutes. And he moves, everyone who wants to work from him, for him moves there. I have another friend, he has a company in Colombia and he gets everyone who wants to work for him to move to Colombia. And it seems to work. Meaning it seems, to, he seems to be able to create a crazy tight knit um, work environment for those folks because they basically 
transfer their life to a different location, kind of like the old days. Uh, if you think about the, the old the towns, like you would build like a, a factory and basically move in like a thousand people with you. Uh, so I don't know if that's not better. Uh, there are definitely things, there are definitely disadvantages. Like for example, you only get talent who is willing to do that. And many people are not. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't have to wonder if people are working, not working, if they're happy, if they're unhappy, if they're the side conversations, everything is right there in that magical place called the office. Uh, just think about the cost of relocating people across the country or from other countries. That's a significant investment. Yes and no. I mean, think about moving someone to Medellin, Colombia. It's uh, up to, it doesn't matter where you are in the US, it's up to $2,000 ticket, probably a lot less. It's like 300 if you're in Miami. And um, living in Colombia is not going to be expensive for you. So is it really expensive? Or maybe one month of insurance from uh, from the UN's government with taxes and from the, you know, is enough to cover for it. Like one month from the additional, you know, benefits will already cover for that move. That's but, crazy. But that said, that's not the, the, that's not the majority. The majority of companies really are moving into, into remote. And to your question, how I manage it, uh, because for us, it's not possible right now. For us, remote first is the way. Uh, and so for, for us, we're just maximizing how we do that. And the way we overcome it is, first of all, by uh, doing constant um, communication. Every week, we have like a happy hour. Every month, we have all-hands meeting. We have meetings in between. Uh, we also pay for people to do an Airbnb and hang out with other people, from other, other folks, from the, like sales to go with customer success, engineering with with support, whatever, like different groups together. We do hackathons. Um, and then we have systems in place, just like before. We have a pull survey, for example, where we ask people constantly, how do they feel one to 10 waking up in the morning and working here? And we try to address uh, their issues. We do a dailies for some particular teams. And then of course we have all the communication systems. For example, we have one system that analyzes if someone is working too much and is about to burn out, or if they're disconnected because their emails are starting to be, their interactions with with their colleagues are minimized. And so we have uh, tools like this as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, every, everything I said, culture is the most important. If, you, if you're building a culture in which it's okay, you know, you're self-sufficient, you're accountable, uh, you know, you have fun, you are transparent, then even if you're remote, no problem. Like you still have the same level of communication. When problems arise, you can address them, uh, which I think we have. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the challenge, right? It's finding the right people. And we talk about it a lot. <laughs> a lot of the guests we've had in our podcast the past few months, it always circles back to culture right now. It always circles back to hiring, no matter what we're talking about, because I mean, it plays such a key role in our industry as well. I mean, we have a um, we have a copywriter that lives in Rome right now, and um, which I never thought we would say that a year ago. Um, but you know, she we we met her through mutual friends. She's a really good writer, and and we 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 have scheduled times in the mornings where we can talk and catch up with her. And um, but like Jackie said, for me it's been a bit of a struggle because I have you know I want to be able to have a a, a powwow, a meeting, a, a in face gathering, you know. And um, but it's getting easier to manage the more you trust people with it. And um, I just know like for me, I have to be in an office. If I'm at home, I'm not working. There is no, there's very little work going on. Oh, good to know. We'll be addressing your <laughs> schedule momentarily. Well, I will, I will, I will. Uh, you've think you've about said things. it on the record. On the record, Gil is my witness. 
Yeah, it's just not a it's not a grind kind of work. It's more like a thought kind of I'm thinking about it work. Why not fly to to Rome and have that power meeting and have some pizza? <laughs> well, we're we're heading there we in October, October actually. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully we'll be able to meet up. But um no, then and you're right. I, I love the idea of that. And um we have a, a, a client who does similar things to what you're talking about. He um he has a happy hour and he's been doing that for years where he'll get everybody on and he'll make a drink a cocktail. He's he has this world famous uh daiquiri that he makes like not like a frozen daiquiri but like an old school on the rocks daiquiri and uh but he'll have all the stuff laid out he'll even ship it to them so they can make it with him and they all do it together on zoom and i, I just when, when i heard that i was like oh, that's really cool you know and it's a great way to connect when you when you can't all be in the same room yes i agree uh again no uh replacement for face to face we just did a uh off-site in las vegas and i promise you all the zooms in the world don't don't come to like five percent of the connection <laughs> there you know just being real like uh, we've gotten accustomed to something new which is cool it's nice and it's great you know it's like we're in star trek talking to each other uh-huh. on the screen i don't mind it but if this was my entire interaction like it was in 2020 no thank you like uh I, we have to you have to supplement that with a lot of in in in-person meetings in my opinion and then in a hybrid situation that one works how um back to what you guys do there how involved do you get with your clients are you to where you're just consulting and providing software and solutions or do you actually get your hands dirty with them um on a level of helping them implement and and discover i would say uh it's kind of half and half we have some customers who are fully independent they don't want us kind of uh, they don't need us helping them out um they just need a little bit of guidance. Many times these are repeating customers, so they already know how to use the platform and they just go on their own. And the other half wants more held home. You know, they want us to work with them, implement, execute, even show the team how to execute for some time before. And so we can um, pair the software together with a professional services contract. And we do that. Uh, we th- At the end of the day, our software needs to get our customers to build the profitable marketing unit that is the the ultimate goal is that every b2b marketer that is using metadata has a profitable marketing unit they put one dollar in they get more than one dollar out in order for that to happen sometimes we need to help them use the software because the software is like a you know it's uh it's this platform that you can use for anything that you want and but if if you if you use it properly uh, then it make ma- magic for you. If not, you know the best thing in the world still would not would not work. And so we would make sure that we want to make sure that customers are successful with it, and we'll we'll guide them through it. When you think about that success, do you ever find what you determine as a success to be different than what your client is determining a success? Well, that would be a mistake on our own, on our end. I would say we set expectations and think on what success looks like from the very first meeting. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say after that, we need to confirm and we validate that in every meeting. We even have a in our software we built this piece where it's called uh, uh, how is it called? It's basically setting up goals. So in the in your onboarding phase, you bring in an executive as a customer you bring in an executive from your company the buyer and the user and they both together plug in their kpi whether it's pipeline or it's revenue or it's cpl or it's whatever it is they plug it in 
And then because we're connected to their systems, we can show them day after day how they're making progress towards that goal. And so there are really no surprises. Uh, we've had surprises in the past, which is why we've built this, where even the person buying the software and the person using the software may have different ideas of what success looks like. And they will only find out that they have differences when it was time to present the results. And so we would present what we would think, or the customer would present what they would think would be a success. And the buyer would be like, I don't give a shit, excuse my language about this. This is not important to me. Uh, right. and so we've changed that. And hopefully now, uh, because the customer themselves have to, again, from the sales stage, all the way through onboarding. Hey, Gil, this. pause you right there. Um, you're cutting out. Oh, okay. Uh, Michael can fix it in post. Okay. Nope. Issue or no issue right now? Can you hear Jackie? I can hear him fine. Oh, okay, you can good. hear fine? Is it just me? It must just be you. I hear Gil fine. Okay, oh, yeah, Lord. because my internet usually, if that happens, it will tell me that I have a weak internet. Hang on, let me, let me. You can tell me this time. So, Jack, you can hear. I can hear both of you perfectly fine. <laughs> I think it's Michael's fault. <laughs> His headphones probably are dying or something. All right, I can hear you now. Sorry. No I was like, okay, Gil. I, I hate to lose and he was right there. in, like, he was in the groove of a great answer. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were talking about. I forgot. <laughs> I, know. Well, I, I was giving you this kind of lead into what happens when your goals and their goes are not aligned. And you were oh, taking right, 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 an right, awesome right. answer about having to set up your processes ahead of time. It was great. Yes, 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 yes. No, that's that's exactly right. We had this problem and we fixed it by making sure that both from sales to customer success and even in the product, everyone is super aligned on what success looks like. Yeah. 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 What about internally with your team? Um, do you ever find that sometimes, you know, somebody on the team feels like the direction should be to the left and someone else feels like the direction should be to the right or up or down, backwards, forwards, you know, um, how do you get alignment there? Is there a tiebreaker on the team or do y'all hash it out? What's the process y'all go through for that? Hashing it out is usually the best way to go. Bring data, uh, minimize ego, uh, you know, be, don't, don't be shy to argue and bring in your point. Um, but no, these are great. This is usually when the truth comes out, when the best ideas come out, we're not shying away from those arguments. I think those are healthy. Uh, and then when, when we do have an agreement, uh, everyone goes with that agreement. Even if your, your opinion was different, you know, you go along with, with whatever the group decided. And sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes it's, it's a good idea. You should accept that it's, it might, you know, I had great ideas that were turned out to be terrible experiments, uh, and, you know, we had some, I remember I had uh, Jason, who used to run my marketing. Uh, I remember he had a different idea about the branding and the category creation. And he was like, I really don't think this is a good idea. I really think we should go a different way. And I told him, look, like, I don't really know either way. Um, I, I don't think that's your, your idea is better, but you can, uh, you can try out what you think and maybe it will be better. And if you will be better, you can tell me, I told you so. And if not, I'm going to give you shit for the next few years that uh, you you made a mistake and uh, he tried it and he was right actually. And I was like, thank you for not going with the bad decision that we almost made. So I think I'm very supportive of people, especially from the trenches coming up with good ideas and arguing their way up because there are things that we will never know in a leadership meeting 
that a salesperson or developer or a support person would know and will be an absolute truth and will never go up because they're afraid to speak their mind. No, I think that's exactly right. And and when you give people that time and space to share their opinions and feel empowered, I think the product is better because, you know, first drafts are never the right draft. And so having multiple viewpoints weigh in, you kind of sharpen, 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 and all of a sudden you've come through the fire and it's better on the other side. Um, what are your favorite productivity hacks right now? What what are you using to make you more productive these days? Hmm. I used to make myself more productive these days. Uh... Let me just point out that Jackie used the word hack. Please stop that. You're watching too much social media right now. It's the accurate word for the question. I know, but everybody's got a life hack and a this hack and a that hack. It just okay. drives me insane. Unlike you, Gil and I don't spend um, a waste time on TikTok, so we're not inundated with people misusing the word hack all the time. We're business people, Michael. <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that's true and I'd not spend lots of time on TikTok. Gil, don't sell me out here. <laughs> just Come on, honest. man. Uh, let's see, productivity hack. So, you know, I, I use... Uh, 15 minutes meetings a lot. So I try to achieve in 15 minutes what other people would prefer to achieve in 45 minutes. Um, I use meeting notes. I don't go into a meeting when I don't have a meeting note uh, and I'm ready to understand what's coming up. I have five minutes breaks in between meetings so I can actually execute. Uh, I block out time uh, for particular tasks because there's nothing unique there. I do take one day off, no meetings and I, kind of force the rest of the employees in the company to do the same thing. You know, I strongly recommend weekly for them to have one day off. Um, yeah, we have uh, we have lots, but this this is just uh, some of them. That, that survey I mentioned, the full survey I'm doing, we've been doing it for three years. It's been a lifesaver. You would not believe the number of people that would have left, good people that would have left uh, if it wasn't for that survey or the things that we found out because of that. Uh, good and bad, uh, and things we change about the company. So, yeah, there is uh, we have quite a bit of life hacks. And yeah, not everybody, awesome. not everybody really likes looking in the mirror. You know, it's tough sometimes. You know, right. to hold that up and and assess yourself. And that's what really what we do when we go in. We have a thing called razor branding process that we put in. It's assessment, and a lot of it is interviewing employees and clients, and and we we hold that back up to people. And and sometimes it's very well received. They're like, we want to hear this. We want to get better. We want to know what's going on. And then others are in complete denial and others get really angry because they don't like what you said to them about what people are saying about them. You know, it's just a hard uh, thing to do sometimes. I mean, it is, but this this is uh, the entire reason we're on this planet. So uh, definitely a good idea to take a look at the mirror. I mean, if you're not looking at the mirror, it's fine, but everyone else is looking at you all day long. So it's not like it's not there. Exactly. I was wondering too, like I was looking through your website and, and we talked about this before, it seems like more and more there's like a um, hybrid going on with marketing side and the sales side, and they become kind of one thing. A lot of people are called marketing, but really they're they're sales, and if they're sales, they're really marketing. Um, my, my son just graduated from grad school, and he's looking for jobs right now in the Nashville area, and everything he's going for, it sounds like a sales job, but it's listed as marketing. And so I'm like, it seems to like be a new world that we're kind of in right now as far as those roles and positions. I mean, B2B tech, uh, it's not happening yet. Uh, the sales folks are the ones running a sales cycle and trying to get the dollars out, um, get the contract done. Usually there's a very particular breed of people that that's what they want to do. And the vast majority of other people don't want to touch that. Um, 
But I will say, the smaller a company, the more likely this is going to happen. So my first person uh, was my SDR, you know, the sales development representative who later became salesperson was also the marketing person. He executed his own campaign so that he has pipeline, so that he has inbound business, so he can follow up and close it and close it later. So uh, I think the smaller companies, it is possible. The larger companies, there's usually a separation between between the two. But uh, I will say that the sales cycle in B2B is changing for sure. The old days, not having your pricing on, you know, on the website, you know, hopping on a call with someone, waiting two days until a salesperson, you know, hops on a call with you. Then they spend the first half an hour qualifying the shit out of you and trying to get all the information from you. All that stuff is going away. That's like mistrust process of all the power is in the vendor ends. That went away actually a long time ago. Today, it's very different where even a B2B consumer goes, they talk to their peers, they go in communities, they listen to podcasts, they look at reviews on websites like Trust Radius and G2. And they know exactly what the price is going to be because they look on it via vendor. And so all the, the they, they also know how the product looks like because they already tried it or they or, or a friend gave them a trial access. And so it's a very different process today where the power is really at the consumer side. Uh, and so I think I, I mentioned that because if you are a hybrid and you've done sales and now you're doing marketing, you are a 10 times better marketer. And vice versa. If yeah. you're a marketer and now you're doing sales, guess what? You are significantly better salesperson. And also you're going to make your marketer a lot better marketer because you're going to give them feedback because now you have credibility because you were sales before. And so I think the more hybrids, the better B2B uh, is going to be. Yeah, no, that I could not agree more. And, you know, what Michael's talking about and then you've kind of touched on, Gil, is this transition where sales and marketing used to be siloed. Now they're becoming this kind of quasi-merge, and I'm seeing this new CRO position really start to lead the charge. And so as the chief revenue officer, they tend to be kind of over both sales and marketing, and I think we're better for it. Sure. I agree with that completely. Damn, 100%. 100%. So what are you reading these days? What podcasts are you listening to? How do you stay current on the trends? Uh, there's some trends I try not to stay on. For example, I, <laughs> I don't actually question use ever. Uh, but um, I just finished a great book called "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins. Okay. Uh, David Goggins is this like if uh, we're talking about TikTok. So if you are, if you do have the vice of, of watching TikTok, which I do, I don't have Facebook or Instagram, but I have TikTok. So uh, there's this uh, inspirational videos of this guy. He looks a little bit insane. He's kind of crazy. And he does all this, um, I don't know, like these exercises and marathons and all kinds of things that seem superhuman. His mind is extremely strong. And so I looked into, into his background and ended up reading his book. And his book is amazing. He he was handed off like the shittiest cars I've seen. Like maybe not the shittiest, but one of the, you know, bottom, bottom three worst cards you can get in life and uh his framework that he built to overcome the challenges and not just uh overcome challenges but actually be number one in his field he finished i think like 50 marathons and triathlons he did like you know he's uh he's a navy seal but he's also like uh you know like a, a ranger he just went through like every possible hard training program on the planet 
and, and and went stronger the other side. He, for example, he would tie his hands and legs and jump into a cold lake to see, like, can he get out of it? Just to so, see if he was going to die. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and he get, of course, he gets out, like, every time. So very interesting. Or he did, like, how many push-ups? Did he, he did, like, 7,000 pull-ups or something ridiculous like that in a, uh, you know, um, one of those uh, competitions, you know, like uh, the, the Book of Guinness. And so, so uh-huh. those things are very, very interesting. Uh, this book really gives you a practical framework into working with your mind in difficult situations to overcome what is usually a, you know, a psychological barrier to achieve something great. Right. Super, super cool, cool book. I love that. I love that. Uh, how about podcasts? What are you listening to these days? Um, I don't listen to many podcasts, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. So that's my true answer there. I don't really listen to podcasts. <laughs> I think that is a very fair answer, uh, for sure. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, when I see how, especially in the B2B space, how podcasts have really come in as just like ebooks and webinars, they've become this really great uh, thought leadership promotional tool um it's been fascinating to me fascinating um, yeah whether it's industry specific marketing specific uh or just the fun ones yeah michael and i really like this one called smartless that justin bateman and uh, i mean jason bateman and will arnett and sean hayes has i i laugh out loud the whole time <laughs> it's good stuff yeah i guess i do lo- I, i'm listening to joe rogan podcast these are kind of long long ones i do listen to to his uh I think everybody in the world is listening to his, it seems like. Right, right. He has a very interesting worldly podcast. Uh, but yeah, it is interesting how podcasts be- became, it's kind of, to, to me, it's kind of like like the old radio show, like Slack is the old MIRC. I, I think it's, these are kind of like similar concepts that came about again and again, and they became cool again with a new generation and a different UI. But nevertheless, I think they're great. Uh, I like podcasts. I like radio show before. So I think they're right. great. Well, no, and, and in my de- in my defense, by the way, Jackie gives me a hard time about TikTok because my kids um, don't think I should be on it. And I agree for the most part, because like 90 percent of it is probably really bad, like just to be mindless, numbing stuff. At the same time, though, if you curate yourself properly and you find the right channels and the right feeds, it's like Neo being plugged into the Matrix. Within an hour, I get flooded with so much content, like uh, things that I like, if I, if a golf channel or recipes or food or technology or on Mac or Adobe products, whatever it may be, that that in my wheelhouse, there's about a thousand people that are all just shoving information at me within these little 15 second sound bites, and it's it's so compact and concentrated. Um, if you use it properly, I think it's a great tool for learning a lot of stuff really quickly um, and not get hung up on the latest dance trend or somebody just staring at the camera, you know, I mean, because that's out there, too. And I think it's that stuff drives me nuts. But for the good stuff, it's it's out there, too, if you find it. <laughs> I think I do both. Uh, I, will say <laughs> I got some great habits out of it. Um, like I got into jujitsu, some workout things. Uh I learned a lot. I got the David Goggins book uh, through that. So, um, uh, you have the, I have a good friend of mine who does that down here, and he got me to go to a class, and um, I signed up. I showed up. Yeah, signed up. I went. I got my gi. I was. I went through one class, and I never went back. It kicked my ass, man. You know, it was like brutal. I've had this experience going to one class of jujitsu and getting my ass kicked, and. That usually means it's not a good place to study uh, because I went to train in a few other places and uh, 
And then I found a place that was amazing. And uh, now I would still get my ass kicked, but I'm like, it's just the learning is the, is amazing. And you also kick ass and you just get significantly better over time. For me, I, I, I found that to be the thing that calms me down the most uh, out of everything else, everything included. Uh, so maybe, yeah, it, it's uh, it's something that I really encourage people in all ages to try out because it's like such a... Oh, I, 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 saw, the, I saw the beauty of it. I, I enjoyed actually learning some holds and wrestling. I, I, you know, it, I liked all that part. It was the physicality. I wasn't in shape for it. And I was done. Like after two hours of rolling around on those mats and doing drop <laughs> balls and running in a circle, I was like, this can't be much, right? We're not on the field. It's not like a football field or soccer field. I was beat. I mean, it wore me out. That's the kind of level of, of ass kicking I got. That's great, though. Very healthy. Yeah. Well, I've neither done jujitsu nor do I spend a lot of time on TikTok. So I'm just going to let y'all keep chatting because I feel like this is not my conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is how I feel when people talk about golf and 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 and, uh, and football. Oh, don't get Michael started. He'll be talking about golf if you let him all the time. I mean, that's like his favorite thing. Yeah, and I'm so bad at it, but I, I do enjoy the mindlessness of it. It's four hours of of all I think about is trying to hit a little ball down a field, and <laughs> everything else is gone. That's the beauty of golf. It is not about anything other than that, you know. That's cool. I never got into that. I would. Uh, I'm trying to normalize. I know people do business. In golf games, I'm trying to normalize uh, doing doing business in jiu-jitsu, rolling. It's not been working so far. I mean, I, it would be hard to say no to you while you're wearing your gi, so I feel like you're halfway there already. Right? I'm like, in general, it would be hard to say no when you're being choked. So Exactly. Like, exactly. you got to well, pen to the mat. They have to sign the contract. <laughs> let's see what happens with the uh, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are doing this soon, right? So let's see. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, well, listen, Gil, I feel like we have covered the B2B, B2C mix. We've covered being more productive. We've talked about processes. Um, the one last thing I think really is automation. How much do you feel like there has to be a balance between what you can set up for automation and where the human element still needs to be involved? To me, it's a simple, it's, a, it's not a hard question. It's like whatever technology, whatever computers Okay, whatever tasks that are technical, repetitive, mundane, humans are doing today, the computer can do tomorrow, it should do. And all the things that humans enjoy doing or are still doing better than a computer, they should be focused on. So in advertising, it's easy. It's like the creative, the strategy, the copy is still being done by humans. Humans still understand humans, other humans better than computers at this particular point in time. Uh, and so, and the strategy and how humans are thinking and, you know, how are they going to react to this ad and where they're going to see it, so on and so forth. That's all humans. The part where computers come into place is executing, experimenting, trying different audiences, trying one time a blue button, one time a red button, one time click here, or one, one time try now, one time LinkedIn, Twitter, one time Instagram and TikTok, uh, you know, the, the attribution behind it, all the analysis. All of that part is an area where a computer will do such a better job and they won't get bored. And right. uh, that's usually how I divvy up the, the responsibilities. Man, that seems fair. I mean, I think that's that's exactly summed it up. And I think all too often the humans keep doing the repetitive things when which I might be more productive. When you can shed that and bring in the automation there, productivity is going to go through the roof. Yeah. And happiness, too. Like who wants no one signed up to marketing? 
to like do a marketing career, people signed up, they thinking they're going to be like Don Draper or, uh, you know, I forgot, Peggy Olsen. Right. I'm going to do this cool stuff. And then they end up like 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, going through like UTM tags in a Google spreadsheet or or copy pasting one tag, you know, from one place to another. And that sucks. Like no one wants to do that kind of work. And if a computer can do it and not complain and be happy, and then you, you can spend 80% of your time on creative tasks and things that makes you make you tick. Let's do that. Right. No, 100%. 100%. Gil, thank you for your time um, and for your knowledge and your wisdom and your expertise and um, showing up, um, having a great accent, all of the things that are you. Uh, thank, thank you. you where can the people find you? If somebody wants to follow you on social media or check out your website, where do they go? Uh, metadata.io and it's uh, gil at metadata.io. That's my email. And it was a pleasure being on your podcast. And thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. Wonderful. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you, Gail. We appreciate it, man. Thank you. Cheers.